0: With me in your Bibles, if you would please, to Psalm 139. This is a passage of Scripture that will be read and preached upon um, all over the United States today. And I just want to remind us of God's Word here. Beginning in verse 13, Psalm, 19, uh, Psalm 139, verse 13. For you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my, my soul knows it well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my und- substance, and in your book were all written, the days that were ordained for me. When as yet there was not one of them, oh, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I am awake, I am still with you. Let's pray. Father, as we contemplate the sanctity of life, the value of human life that you've given to us, we stand amazed at how clear you present this truth in the Scriptures, and yet how far away we can go as a people and as a culture away from these truths. Forgive us, we pray, Father, for we have grievously sinned against you. Father, forgive us and humble us before you. And Lord, may your blessing be upon your word today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of the sermon today is a reminder to value life because it's precious. How precious it was to look at these little ones that were in front of us today, each one representing a unique life full of potential. We don't know what God will do with these lives. We don't know who they will become. But we are grateful that they were given birth and that they have that potential. Life is precious, and as such, we must protect it. Just consider the parents who presented those children up here today and who vowed to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Why? Why did they do that? Why do they care so much? What does it matter, really? And yet the intentional abortion of over 61 million babies has taken place between 1973 and 2020. 61 million unborn children. The emotional devastation to men and women involved cannot even be measured Sometimes I have to almost pinch myself, and I said this last week, and here I am again saying it, but uh, as a pastor, sometimes I feel like I live in an alternate universe. Who would ever think that pastors would have to preach on the value of life? And not just life, but the life of the most vulnerable among us. The life of babies in their mother's womb. But preach upon it we must... And remind everyone we must. And we will. And so today I'd just like to share with you why we should value life by identifying three simple truths and explaining them as we go along. We must act on what we know from God's word about the value of human life because God created life. So we should value it. God created it. Secondly, There is life nowhere else. And so we should preserve it. And thirdly, only humans can choose to glorify God. And so we should use our lives to glorify him. So those are the three areas that we're going to be looking at. Let's look at the first one. Life is precious because God created it. God is the creator. He is the creator and sustainer of all life. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, which we talked about last week, we're back to foundational teaching, foundations again. It's the first mention of human life in the Bible, and we read, then God said, let us make man, generic, in our image, according to our likeness. And so he created them, male and female. God is the creator of life, human life. In Genesis 2.7, we read that, Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. He didn't spontaneously come into existence. He was created by a creator, And life, the breath of life, was breathed into his nostrils at the beginning. Life began with the breath of God. He and he alone is the source of all life. In Psalm 104, 29, we read, When you hide your face, speaking of God, they are dismayed. And when you take away their breath, they die. That's very, very clear. And they return to dust. And when you send forth your spirit, they are created. They live. You see, God gives life. It doesn't just happen, nor is it the result of our own doing. I think sometimes because we are male and female and we get together and we create a child, somehow or other we think we did that. We did, but we're a secondary cause. <laughs> okay, we are a secondary cause. Colossians 1.17 identifies Christ, who is God, and that he holds everything together. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. So God is not only the creator of life, but he is the sustainer of life in all things. The Bible meaning of life in the New Testament is covered by two Greek words, and they're instructive to us. Bios is biological life, bios. And the other is zoe, which talks of the quality of life. When you think of zoe, it's a life full of meaning, exhilaration, and joy. Even as physical bread is linked to bias, physical life, Jesus links himself as the bread of life. And that life there is zoe, not bias. It's real life. It's the essence of life. Zoe is the kind of life that is worth living. And when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he's not just offering a nice physical existence. Things go better with Jesus. That's not what he's talking about. In contrast to physical life, he's offering himself as a source of eternal life, zoe. A radical and an ultimate life. Jesus says, do not labor for food that only has bias, but for food that is zoe. (laughs) In him was life, zoe, and the life, zoe, was the light of men. You know, I, I really count my life beginning at 19 years old when I came to know Jesus Christ. Prior to that, that was not life. I don't know what it was. But compared to the life that I've experienced since I've trusted Christ, it's almost as if I didn't exist before then. And what a difference he's made in my life. What a transformative Experience that has been to have Christ in my life. So when Paul identifies those who are dead in trespasses and sins, in Ephesians chapter 2, 1, he's identifying those who are without God and without hope in the world. They have bios, but they don't have zoe. Can you say it after me? Dead men walking. That's what everybody is without Christ, the source of life. They are dead in their trespasses and sins. They do not have the capacity for spiritual understanding of things. They are basically physically alive. God created Adam and God created Eve. This is another reason that life is valuable. Listen to this. Humanity is distinct from the rest of creation, we are not the same as animals. That is one of the things that um, unbelievers, those who have not trusted Christ as their Savior, think that God is a myth and the Bible is just a bunch of fairy tales. They will tell you, biologically, you're just a bag of what? You know? You're nothing or you're stardust. Don't worry about it. That has implications on the way that we live. If that's true then there is no morality, people. Do whatever you want to do because it doesn't matter. And hurt whomever you want to hurt so that you can be at the top of the game, right? It doesn't matter. In the Genesis account, Adam was created individually as a single creation, and Eve also was created from the rib of Adam but created individually in a single creation. The rest of creation was created together in what the Bible calls kinds. Listen. Let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures, and let the birds, plural, fly above the earth, and let the earth bring forth living creatures, plural, after their kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth, They were created in kinds, but God created man first, and then he created the woman individually. That makes us very unique in God's creation and creative order. Humanity is distinct from the animals that God created. And we have all been created in his image. It's another reason that we value life. We have been created in the image of God. Let us make Man, in our image, according to our likeness, we are unique of all creation because only humans have the capacity to know, love, and obey God, our Creator. He created us with cognitive and moral capacities that allow us not only to be self aware, animals are self aware, but also God aware. Now, I love animals, all kinds of animals. I love my dogs. I have a poodle that's not even a dog, it's a poodle. Okay? And he's really smart, really smart. And he's very intuitive. But you know what? He's not God aware. He doesn't know about God. To him, I'm God. Or in some days, he's God. But he just doesn't have a God awareness. We are able to express affection and adoration and love toward our Creator. And the greatest way that we can expose that love and adoration and and affection towards God is through obedience to His will. You see, God gave Adam and Eve the mandate to multiply, He didn't have to tell the others to multiply. (laughs) They just do those kinds, right? To God, or to Adam and Eve, God gave the command. It was given prior to sin. So don't ever say, these kids are a curse to me, (laughs) even though you're tempted. The command was given with a blessing. Psalm 127 says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord and the fruit of the womb is a reward. Heritage means inheritance to carry on what the parent has begun. And reward talks about a favor. Children are not a burden. They're not a trouble. They may be difficult at times, but they are not a burden. They've been given to us for good. Through procreation, God propagates the earth with human beings so that more and more glory will be lavished upon him as he deserves. So by the simple fact that God created life, we should value it. For my second point, life is precious because there is no other. Therefore, we should preserve it. Everyone knows that we've spent a lot of money looking for life outside of Earth. Okay, Mars, we're we're really honing in on Mars right now. A lot of hope there, right? $70.9 billion were spent in 2018 looking for life outside of Earth. But whether there is life out there or not, one thing is for certain... There is life right here. There is life right here. You can be assured of that. And understanding that there's life right here on our planet, it is a a magnificent, horrible thing when we consider the vast disregard for it seen everywhere. The way that we treat life is indicative to how far we have turned our backs on God. The way that we try to medicate ourselves for the consequences of the sin that we live with through alcohol and drug abuse is just a testimony to the pain that it causes human beings to live without God and without hope in the world. We try to sedate it somehow, tamp it down, because it hurts. Our own culture presently protects, by law, the legitimacy to destroy life in the womb. It is a law, it is considered a right to kill the baby in the womb. If that is not shaking your fist at God, the creator and sustainer of life, I don't know what is. It is. But it's not always been so. Life was once valued more highly. But the Bible teaches that in the last days, listen to this verse in the context of our culture, Matthew 24, 12. In the last days, lawlessness will increase and most people's love will grow cold. Most people's love will grow cold. Not just the woman who gets the abortion, but the men that pay for it often. Love has grown cold. Folks, we are in the last days. We truly are in the last days. Second Timothy 3 depicts the last days this way. They're perilous times because men are going to be lovers of themselves and lovers of money and boasters and proud blasphemers. disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And it says, they therefore have a form of godliness, but deny its power. And I just thought of something reading that. Maybe that form of godliness is not that they're churchgoers but they have the image of God but they're not recognizing that. They're tamping it down. They have the form of godliness but denying its power and from such people it says turn away. Well, I don't want to go against scripture but I think we need to turn towards them and preach the gospel to them, hold out hope to them. But that's a picture of the context of the last days. Are we there? I believe we are. And why has our society so changed? You know, America has had a very, very good run. We're a city on a hill. The answer is clear. The consensus of our society no longer rests on a Judeo-Christian basis. Rather, it's on a secular, humanistic one. And humanism makes man the measure of all things. It puts man rather than God at the center of everything. You know, yesterday I was looking for a Christian bookstore. <laughs> Have you tried to do that lately? There's one in Robbinsdale, Osterhouse Publishers. Okay? But, you know, you used to be able to go, to most of the suburbs and find a Christian bookstore. What happened? Our culture has very, very much changed. Maybe slowly, and we haven't noticed. I was shocked that I couldn't find a Christian bookstore. Today, the view of humanity is that it's a product of chance in an impersonal universe, and it dominates the thinking of the person on the street. It once was... Heavy philosophy, okay, postmodernism. But it has filtered down as philosophy often does, and now the man on the street, the common person basically, thinks of humanity in those constructs, if you will. And it's resulted in a post Christian secular society, which has in turn promoted liberal theology in the churches that do remain. Liberal theology sets aside the Bible and replaces it with humanistic philosophy in one form or another. Socialism. Uh, Many churches are nothing more than a group of people that are a club together, and they do things together. In such a philosophy and religion, everything starts and ends with the individual being central. A man-centered versus a God-centered perspective. There's value in the individual life. The value of life is determined by God, not by people. Hello? We did not create ourselves. We have a creator, and he determines the value of life. Today, people talk of the quality of life. And decisions are made based on the quality of life. S- statistics, and I don't want to bore you with this or, or bog down here, but statistics show the reasons behind abortion. 19% of abortions are performed because the person is done having children. That's what the surveys say. of the abortions take place because they don't believe they can afford another child. And 25%, a full quarter of abortions take place because they're not ready. All of those are because of convenience, folks. There is no value to the human life. Some other things that influence and and they're... you know, uh, just reiterate it through the statistics that I gave you. Social and economic reasons undergird the reasons for abortion. Convenience, as I mentioned, undergird that. And and sex selection is becoming larger. Uh, With the more science that we have and the abilities to look at, at gender and so forth and so on, there's sex selection that is behind abortion because I don't want a girl or I don't want another boy. And it's legal in Minnesota, folks. You know, I say sex selection, you think China, right? No girls, all boys. Sorry, it's legal in Minnesota, and people do use that as an excuse to have an abortion. The idea of quality is established based upon the idea of enjoyment. The criteria to determine quality is is discovered by asking some of these questions, is this life able to enjoy? Or can it expect potential for pleasure or success? Or What value does this life bring to others, society, maybe its own family? But this is not considering the value of life. Rather, it is using humanly contrived measuring sticks to determine the value of life. Life has intrinsic value. Value because it lives, and it was created by God. Created by God. Biblically speaking, God determines various degrees of life, not other people. Proverbs 22.2, two, The rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is the maker of them all. Jesus said, The poor you will have with you always. Man, one of the biggest social things we got going is we've got to get rid of poverty. I am not for poverty. I've been there. (laughs) Okay. I'm not for poverty. I'm not saying that. But how much energy and, 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 and focus should we be exerting on getting rid of poverty when the Scriptures tell us the poor you will have with you always, people? I believe we need to be compassionate and loving and kind and helpful. We have a deaconate, uh, a a deacon fund that we help people even outside of the church that are in need. And we're all for that. But really? It's kind of like we're going to get rid of COVID. Really? Okay. Let's get rid of death too while we're at it. Why not? I mean, I'm all for it. But when you just operate in your own thinking, that's the kind of stuff we come up with." Romans 9:20 20 through21 says, "On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God, "Will the thing molded?" He'll not say to the molder, "Why did you make me this way, will he?" Or does the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel honorable and another vessel for common use?" The implied answer to those rhetorical questions that Paul posed is yes, the potter has the right over the clay to do as he pleases. The arrogance of the individual to question God is emphasized in that Roman passage. The value of man. Genesis 9.6 talks about the image of man. And over in James 3.9, don't curse man who has been created in the image of God. The imago Dei, the image of God in man gives human life dignity. Whether or not it's crippled in some way or mentally deficient, it is life and it has dignity. The value of a woman. The woman is to be given special honor It's due the woman. And husbands are to sacrificially offer their lives for them even as Christ died for the church. The value of children, the the biblical view is already stated, shows that they are heritage and a reward. But there's a diabolical pressure to murder children in the womb so that you can enjoy life without them. What? The value of the aged. Respect and honor our due seniors. The Bible teaches that the gray hair, uh, that gray hair is a crown of glory. It's gained by a righteous life. We are to stand up before the aged and honor an old man in his way and show that way. Show the fear of God. Don't despise your mother when she is old, and listen to your father. Proverbs teaches us in 23, 22. But instead, the aged are despised, and they're met with the impertinence of youth, and, and now more and more confronted with the real threat of euthanasia. I mean, come on, let's be realistic. A lot of these old people are in pretty nice houses, and there's a housing shortage. What, what the heck? They've lived a good life. They had a good run. Let's take them down. Do you think I'm fooling? (laughs) During COVID, we heard of this this phrase that those older people that were in homes that by themselves or hospitals and their relatives could not come, they experienced a failure to thrive and many died. Folks, this world's dark. It's a scary place. My friend and mentor, John MacArthur, in a sermon once said, human beings are dangerous. And I just marked that and I just thought, wow, that's true. Human beings without God, they're dangerous. Not only should we value life because God created it, but we should also do everything within our ability to preserve it, most obviously reflected in the way that we exercise our civil responsibilities and voting and freedom for social protest. Stand up and be counted on God's side for life. Yesterday was a march for life. At the Capitol, we gave a call out. A couple heated it, okay? Okay. We've got to do better, folks. We've got to do better. Okay, I'm not saying everybody's got to pick up picket signs and everybody's got to be at the marches. Use your voting rights as well. But honestly, we have got to stand up and be counted. And I think with the Roe versus Wade argument that's going to come before the Supreme Court, there may be opportunities to stand up and be counted again in the streets. Beloved, I'm going to beat the drum and we're going to go out together. We need to let the people know. Back in Indonesia, when we were there, um, at Christmas time, we showed solidarity as Christians in a predominantly Muslim nation. It's the largest Muslim nation in the world. Okay? And at Christmas time in the city, all Christians got together. And I'm talking Catholic, Pentecostal, Seventh day Adventist, <laughs> anybody that wasn't Muslim that went to some type of gathering, we called them Christians, and we all got together in force. Why? To show the Muslim population that there's not just one or two of us, there's a whole bunch of us. That is what we need to do socially against this plight of abortion. We need to stand together. I'm not talking about having people in my pulpit that don't believe the things that I teach or what... The scripture says, that's not what we're talking about. It's just that there's a solidarity in the value of life. And we need to show it and not be afraid to show it. So we value life. We need to preserve it and stand up when we can for life. Thirdly, life is precious because only humans can glorify God. So use your life to glorify him. The purpose of our creation. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you have created all things, and for your pleasure they are and were created. Revelation 4.11. The very first statement in the Westminster Shorter Catechism answers the ultimate question of the ages. What is the chief end of man? Why was man created? And the answer very simply is, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The Bible is clear as to why God created us. We were created to give God glory. God created humanity in His own image, and mankind as originally created reflected the true image of God because He was God-centered rather than self-centered. When Adam and Eve, prior to the fall, Walked in the garden, they walked in the cool of the day in the garden with God and brought him great joy and great glory. But after they sinned, something happened. Mankind's one thought and desire before sin ruined everything was to serve God and take delight in him. But after the fall, man became self-centered rather than God-centered. And God became an afterthought. And that is the consequence of abandoning God. Jesus once said to his father, I have glorified you on earth. And then he says, how? I've finished the work that you gave me to do. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, we believers have been created for good works which were prepared for us before the foundation of the world. How do we glorify God? By finishing the work that he's given to us to do. From Jesus' words, it's easy to see how we can glorify God by living and doing what God wants us to do. Life is precious because only human beings, by an act of their will, are able to choose to glorify God. Now, it's not just human beings that glorify God. All of God's creation does bring glory to Him according to the Scriptures. The heavens declare his glory, Psalm 19. The beasts of the field will glorify me, Isaiah 43, 20. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him from the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts, stars. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all stars of light. Praise him, highest heavens, Psalm 148. His creation brings glory to him. So we began today by stating that we must value life. And I promise to give you just three reasons why life is to be valued according to the Bible. One, because God created life. Number two, because human life is the life that is here and present. And number three, because only human beings are able to choose to glorify God. Now I'm going to leave you with four things to take home. Number one, God has revealed his glory in Jesus Christ. John said, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews 1, 2, and 3 said that in these last days, since Jesus came to earth, he has spoken to us in his Son. Because his son is the radiance of his glory. And what that means is that he is the exact representation of his nature. So our focus, our focus is to be on Jesus Christ alone to see his glory ever more and more. Number two, God has declared his glory in the gospel. Once Paul said, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see, God is still displaying his glory even today, and it's in the gospel. God's glory is in the gospel. Gospel is the power of God unto salvation, not how good your presentation is, (laughs) or not how good the track is that you're using. It's The gospel itself is the power of God unto salvation. And the very first step in glorifying God is believing the gospel. Does that make sense? I mean, if you're rejecting the gospel and tamping it down and holding it down in unrighteousness because you love your evil deeds, you're not glorifying God, obviously. So believe the gospel. Have you entered into that great exchange? Paul told us that God made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He takes our sin, we take the righteousness of God in Christ. The great exchange, it's wonderful. That's what believing the gospel does. And that brings glory to God. Thirdly, God will return in glory very soon. The second coming is... It's a story that's told, it's done. I love the way um, Revelation talks about prophecy as almost like in the past tense, it's done. Well, in, in the mind of God, it is, it's completed. And the fact that Jesus Christ is going to come again is an established fact in the Bible, and we need to believe it, and now we need to live like we believe it. The world sucks us into the vortex of its culture and its, its society and its beliefs and, and all the distractions. And believe me, I'm as distracted as you are. It's, it's really, really, really hard. But the truth of the matter is, God will send his glory to the earth once again. Are we personally ready to receive the King of kings and the Lord of lords You know, are we going to regret having to leave our, our iPhones behind when he raptures us? You know, like Lot, just a second, Lord, just a second. No. But Lot is a perfect example. Man, I'd love to preach on Lot. Lot's a perfect example of being so wrapped up in the culture around him and everything that he bargains with God to leave Sodom. We can't be like that. God will return in glory very soon. And finally, fourthly, God glorifying life is our privilege and our joy. Will you reflect on the glory of God by valuing life, talking to people about life? It's a magnificent display, God's glory in life born and unborn, healthy and afflicted, young and old, you need to make a decision to stand up for life because if you do not intentionally do that, the surrounding culture will decide for us. It really will. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life, Zoe, and that they might have it more abundantly. You really do need to decide what side you're on. And the time is shorter than it has ever been. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to be strong in the power of your might. Help us to trust you to give us the strength to speak up for life. Father, in this day and age, uh, all of us know of people who are part of the culture of death. Uh, They believe that they have a right to choose what they believe is right for their own bodies. And Lord, we need to talk to those people and reason with them about the value of life, the intrinsic value of life, because God created it. And Lord, that'll be challenging to some of us. Give us the strength to glorify you by standing for the value of life. In Jesus' name we pray.